Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhardt. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. Please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Hi, Louise. Hi, Sarah. Here we are. We are on the penultimate chapter of The Primal Wound by Nancy Verrier. This is chapter 15 called Further Implications of the Primal Wound, the Impact of Abandonment on Other Populations. It's funny timing because I was just talking to one of my closest friends and she said, you know, I so relate to all the abandonment feelings, even though I wasn't adopted. Basically, she was child number four, maybe for her mom. Mm -hmm. or three out of five, and she was handed off to a nanny. And so she, you know, and she spent her whole life like seeking her mother's love and approval and all that stuff. So yes, other people do have abandonment issues as well. So I, I like that we're doing this chapter because throughout this whole podcast, you and I have been hearing from friends and different people, uh, guests, listeners who are like, well, like we've had very good friends write us, you know, I wasn't adopted, but I went through the divorce with my parents and I've related so much to your thing. And I'm like, I'm glad that she's following up with this chapter because, and she also gets into bigger things too. I mean, as we're going to touch on it here, but here's one quote here. She has at the beginning, although this book has been written for and about members of the adoption triad has implications for people other than those involved with adoption. Boom. And she goes into it. Yeah. And she lists them all. And I thought each one thing she talked about with the, uh, with babies that people go through the, with premature babies that are in Mm -hmm. incubators. When they're incubators. Yeah. You know, I didn't even think about that myself, honestly, that that would be the sort of similar situation. I think I did just because I got into a conversation with someone early on in our podcast about this and about surrogates, which she talked about. I guess the thing though, that remains for adopted people is that if your kids getting out of an incubator or kids who have nannies, they're still with their DNA who mirror them, you know? Yes. And so there is that difference, I guess. And when you talked about the surrogate situation, she was more in favor of, and what I like about Nancy Berry, just to go back on that is she's very like, I am a professional in this field and I am a parent of an adopted child. And I do feel strongly about these certain things, which I like about her. She gives her opinion as a doctor Mm -hmm. and not just like a layman's opinion about certain situations. And it's not to cover all, but she, you know, if anyone wants to read this book, it's excellent in that way. She gets into how she thought in vitro was better if people could do it because of the mom being more with the genetics of the baby (laughs) and carrying the baby and carrying the baby. Because when she talked about the surrogacy, that was something that came up Mm -hmm. was people ask, or she's thought about, is it the DNA connection or is it the caring of the child that causes the primal wound? And initially it's the separation of the child because you can have a shared DNA with your father and not have those same issues separated. One thing I thought was interesting that is talking about babies who grow up in daycares, like they're Uh shortly after they're born being put in daycare and long term, long hour daycares. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, I'm sure this was controversial when it came out. And uh, (laughs) I remember saying to somebody, I think Becker was in middle school and I just said, well, I kind of made a choice that I was going to put him first. And so blah, blah, blah. And I could tell that my friend was offended because she's like, well, I need it. You know, I had to have a career and it can be a really touchy, really touchy touchy. topic. You know, well, I mean, this is the struggle for women, right? Because she does say, which this is interesting too. Fathers are so important. So no way are we ever diminishing the father. I mean, we both know how important fathers are. And she says fathers are super important for the baby, but the first few months and maybe years of life, the mother is the important, you know, primary person for this baby. So she does say, you know, this is the whole thing with mothers. It is the biggest dilemma of the world. Can you work and can you put your kids in daycare? Can you have a nanny or leave for long time periods to do something that you work on and come back and the baby's, you know, left with other people. And she said that is that she has no judgment. This is just a reality with yeah. have to be with their mothers to not have some issues. And she did say that what I did like is she said, people have to make choices and there's financial choices. And, but the one thing that we could do and learn from is talking to our kids. Right. That's what I had. Children Mm -hmm. need to be able to talk about their feelings so that the feelings don't become bigger than life or repressed. Yes. And Um, then she said, save yourself thousands of dollars later in therapy by talking early with your children, (laughs) which is true. Yeah. (laughs) That could could be with adoptees as well. It'd be really nice to have these discussions. Yeah, because it says uh, if a mother is not available, it will bring up feelings for the child, feelings that the mother will have to be prepared to acknowledge and validate. Yeah. When you and I had on Casey, one of our guests, and he's a newly adopted father, I like that he's having these conversations already Mm -hmm. with his little boy, already just the conversation and hearing how he, from the adopted community, talking to us and He's on adoptee Twitter. He wants to learn how to say things correctly and talk to his child. That's where things in the adoption world can change and with all parenting, right? Mm-hmm. She's a really pro. Um, what it, She has this thing about herself in here, underlined it, where I thought it was interesting about Nancy. Hold on. I'm not finding it, but where she was talking about herself. Like if she didn't have the help and her daughter didn't have the help, she would end up being this, oh, it was the mean stepmother role. Like oh, yeah. stepmother. Yeah. She yes. said a lot of adopted mothers related to her while she was writing this book that they felt like they were the mean stepmother. They could never do anything right. And all they wanted to do was love this child. And she gets into the role of step parents and how step parents think, why don't they love me? I'm trying so hard. And it really is just the basic thing that a child, a little child is wanting their mom. Yeah. And she said she would have become that wicked stepmother and her daughter would have become the hater of the wicked stepmother had they not had therapy. Yes. And the realization, you know, the knowledge. Yeah. Awareness. Awareness. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, So she's not sitting on her high ivory tower. She's saying, I was in this too. We're we're all community in this, you know. What else hit you in this? I mean, there's there's a lot. I thought it was interesting about the whole conversation about fetal alcohol syndrome uh-huh. and how once that was discovered, how a lot of parents, adoptive parents were like, well, maybe that's what's wrong with my child. And even if they didn't have that information, they didn't uh, have the information, but they started putting the care looking for that- something to blame, you know, yeah. you know, without, you know, acknowledging that it's actually the primal window. Yes, there will be fetal, there have been fetal alcohol, but 
it's and, not and, the only. No, and and you can assign. So when I was looking because of this, I Googled really quick, what are the symptoms of fetal alcohol syndrome? And it is a lot of things that just yes. adoptees have. And I'm thinking, oh, that is convenient when that came out because it came out sort of right after the baby scoop era when yes. all that research came out. So then everyone's like, oh, that's, you know what? My kid would have been great, but they definitely probably had that. Yes. But the mother had to be a drinker. Yeah, it's like how many. So it's adults? a way to to deflect <laughs> from what the real truth may be, which is it's a wound from separation. Yeah, and you know acknowledge that. Yeah. The other the other thing, just because of the timing of the Supreme Court and what's uh, going on, is the whole abortion thing, and the, you know it isn't taking away abortion isn't going yeah. to, you know, what am I trying to say? Fill in I, the blanks for me. Lee. I know what you're trying to, well, when she gets into this whole, she has two pages on abortion because people, this is a hot topic mm-hmm. and adoption, as we found out through people that are on the Supreme court think, well, you don't have to have an abortion because you can just put the baby up for adoption. Yeah. <laughs> so cavalier that they're hand in hand, but they're not hand in hand. These are separate issues. And I think that's what she wanted to say is, you know, she's not pro-abortion or anti- she didn't get into that. She was just saying, listen, abortion is for a woman to choose with a woman, with herself. And adoption is the same way. You, just because someone didn't have an abortion, are they going to go put their baby up for adoption? This isn't. Well, know. and statistically, that's actually not true. No, right. That if someone doesn't have abortion, it's more likely that they're going to raise the baby if they right. don't have, you know, raise the baby themselves, it's a whole separate thing. Yeah, it's so the, the person on the Supreme Court was woefully ill-informed, misguided in saying that when she's an adoptive parent. But you know, it's the anyway. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah, it is, and it's interesting because it just made me think. I think adoptees are have we're having our Me Too moment. You know, for the first time, hashtag Me Too adoptees. <laughs> Because it's really, really, there's a lot of stuff going on around this topic right now. There there just is, Sarah. When we were on Twitter, you and I see the same feeds. There was someone who posted something today and said, listen, if the adoptees like me who had it really great and wonderful parents are upset and speaking out, you've really touched on something. Yes. Like, that's the truth. Like, I have my brother sending me articles about this, like, how lame they're using this. And I'm thinking, yeah, it is. Yeah. But maybe this is why this is happening because we can all just, you know, first of all, things don't change without conversation, right? And knowledge. And I liked what you posted. Listen to our guests because when you get to know what the issues are, then you go, oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Just hear what an adoptee has to say and how adoptee feels. Don't pretend to understand that or minimize it with your own thoughts or, I mean, with your own, don't project yeah. your own stuff when you don't really know. No. It would be like us trying to do that with something we're not aware of. And that one thing that is kind of, I wouldn't say it's funny in this chapter, but she gets into the whole sperm donor situation Yeah, because we had friends visit us and I'm not going to name them, but they actually told us a story this weekend. He was like, I got to talk to you about your podcast because we have a friend who they found out. I guess he was a sperm donor for years in college in the 1970s and made 50 bucks a pop back then. That was a lot of money. And he did it multiple times. Yet another thing (laughs) men can make more money at than women. (laughs) We're 
laughing. I would have been doing that if I had the ability back then. (laughs) Right. My friend and I were both like, yeah, that's like men could just always find a way to make some money. Yeah. (laughs) And they had no, you know, he was a young guy, had no like implications of what that meant when he was young. So years later, he's been married for years and years. He has kids. Someone knocks on his door. I'm your daughter because not knocks on his door, but he gets an email because of the sperm donor. He's like, oh. And his wife's like, what? You were a smart. <laughs> so then he finds out he has all these kids, many more, because the laws opened up that they don't have privacy anymore. So he has all these kids. Well, the one daughter he got really close to, really close to, it's a long story. They got very close, years and years. Turns out she went on Ancestry. Here's another Ancestry plug. That's not her father. It was the gynecologist doing these things. He was on 2020 with some famous gynecologist that was like pretending he was taking things. Oh. And that's actually involved. I remember hearing friend. about that. Yes. And then we got into a whole thing about, wow, this opens up a whole. <laughs> and then how adopting, like she talked about in here, if you have a bunch of sperm donors or people from the same town doing this. You have a big risk of that, you know, yes. incest. It's because you're in the same age group, you're in the same dating pool, and you'd be Mm -hmm. attracted to someone else with your qualities. Yes. Like that mirror. These are things I've never thought about. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Like, holy cow. And then just to hear this this weekend and then to have Nancy talk about it, I was like, oh, this is. So there are people who can relate to our podcast that aren't just adopted. I mean, lots of people out there have this and even just going through divorce when people have traumatic divorces or single parents, or there's lots of things that go on. So yeah, I think we should sum it up. What's the last chapter, Sarah, we were talking about that. The last paragraph. It's time that we stop denying painful truths in order to avoid the painful work of making difficult decisions, decisions which affect the well-being of our children. Our failure to keep our children safe and secure puts them in a perpetual state of anxiety. Hi, me. It is time to listen to our children and to put their welfare ahead of our own. Adopted children, foster children, stepchildren, biological children. All children deserve nothing less than our very best love and protection. I like that. Amen. Amen. That's the truth for everybody. I love that. I'm glad you read that. I know the perpetual state of anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, hi. Hi. If uh, anyone's watching on YouTube, say hi to Woody. Yeah, we have we have Woody in the background Woody. listening intently because we're fascinating. <laughs> but we've really, we really, as you'll see, we're not in our closets today. We're not in our closets. We will be back in our closets. We're having a little time out of our closets today for our backs. <laughs> so, so we one more chapter, and then we'll have a wrap up episode, and then we're on to our next book. Season yep. two after this. And we'll share all about that on our wrap up episode. Yep. And we're about to introduce our guest, which we can't wait. And a friend of the oh, show. And especially we'll be able to share our book. If anybody wants to follow along mm-hmm. in this season time. two, this time, since, you know, you didn't know us the beginning of season one, <laughs> but you can follow along. <laughs> we we'll hope we'll you give do. you all that info. So, we'll all right. Time for our guest. Time for our guest. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Louise and I had talked about it for months and we were intimidated until we heard about Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. 
Podcasting isn't hard. Believe me, if Louise and I could figure it out, anyone can. We got a mic, some headphones, parked ourselves in our closets, and that was it. Buzzsprout did the rest. You get a great looking podcast website and you can track all of your analytics to see how your podcast is doing. So if you follow the link in our show notes, it lets Buzzsprout know we sent you and you get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. And bonus, you help support our show. Hi, I'm just going to break in here. As a friend of the podcast and a fellow Patreon, I want to join Louise and Sarah in thanking everyone who has reached out. Frankly, I've been astounded at the number of listeners from across the world who have shared their unique stories with our podcasters. I believe in the healing power of stories. As a Patreon, I've found such pleasure in supporting the podcast and in seeing how adoptees find their people. I know how much Louise and Sarah are moved by each Patreon support. Their immediate goal is to be able to air the podcast weekly rather than bi-weekly. Eventually, they would like to advocate for more effective ways of adopting children. If you would like to support this important work, either once or in an ongoing way, simply go to patreon.com, then in the search bar, type adoption colon the making of me. Thank you all, each in your own way, for bringing us together. And now let's rejoin our hosts. Today we have a guest that we, both Sarah and I have known in passing, not deeply, but our kids all went to elementary school together. And when we were doing this podcast, we got to know him better because he's adopted and started giving us great tips and actually made the connection to Rebecca Autumn for us, which led to Nancy Verrier. And so we just love him. And here he is, Eric David. Hey, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate the work you two are doing, which is important to get these stories told. And I'll just jump right into mine real quick with the beginning at the start was I was born in Queens in Booth Memorial Hospital, February 1966. Booth hospitals were run by the Salvation Army, uh, oh. and they also had Booth homes for unwed mothers right next door. So, And I was given through the adoption agency Spence Chapin, which is still around as well. Are Booth they a is, private adoption they are agency? Private, and they were, I think, more of a Protestant. I think it was broken up by Jewish Catholic Protestant in those days. So Mm -hmm. same with the hospital as well. There was Catholic charities, there were Jewish hospitals and homes, and this was more of a Protestant one. Spence Chapin, yes, is private. I was adopted by my parents in April, 1966. So I was with a foster mother for a couple of months. And your parents, were they reproductively challenged and or did yeah. they have biological kids or what? Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, Bob and Linda, David, and I'm the eldest of three. I have two younger sisters. So then my next youngest sister is also adopted. And then our youngest sister is not. Is the Isn't that always how that goes, right? <laughs> I think that, yeah, the, the drugs kicked in or it was a fluke, but you know, that's who I call and we'll call today, you know, my mom and my dad. That's yeah. who raised me. We were told young 
you would think that the natural daughter, the youngest, is adopted because she doesn't look anything like the rest of us. And we all kind of look <laughs> more like each other. She's a, a redhead. And you would think she was the one that was brought in from a foster home. Especially anyway. she's redheaded to Fabian Shea, right? <laughs> yeah, the redheaded <laughs> bastard child. So we were all told young, and my parents always said that they would support both of us to search. I've never really needed financial support, and I never wanted to hire a private detective or anything at, at that level. I've done all my own research and found things myself. So they tried hard, my parents, for us to all feel equal and equally loved, and no one was any different and did a great job at that. I think we, me and my siblings have good relationships to this day. And it was, you know, the usual stormy childhood type stuff, but we never got into that sort of like, you're not my real dad kind of stuff. That was just never something that came up. And I was never really interested in searching until I had my own child later, but I did sort of have a lot of the issues that, you know, later when I started to search, I read the primal wound, which you guys are going through. Yeah. Emotions that she describes, I just felt like totally seen, totally just describing all these things. But most above all, it's sort of the inability to articulate or to feel the emotions. Having an emotional numbness has been a, a characteristic of me and sort of emotional distancing. So yeah. that's a coping mechanism, but I you mean like in through, your interpersonal relationships, or yeah, just and, in general in life, or yeah, and I mean as a male, I mean obviously anger is easy for me to show and express, mm. but um, I through therapy learned later that I've been depressed all my life. Also, you know that's a big thing for adoptees is the sadness, yes, the yes. hurt. That, Somebody described it, and I really related to this as a core unhappiness. Yes. Like I feel like it's something you're just marinated in and you know swimming in all your life. It's almost like and I never felt like I ever felt anxiety as much as depression. And it's just that I didn't know what anxiety even felt like or that I was feeling it. But it was usually that fear of abandonment, the yeah. being the good kid until I went to college and then I went completely <laughs> off the rails, but, um, I was like, yeah, oh my God. Yeah. Those frat parties, (laughs) at least there wasn't social media back then. I mean, there's no way I'd get a job. I'm always grateful for that. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. All three of us. (laughs) And I was also the oldest child. So birth order sort of also added to being the the good child or, you know, the, the responsible one, you know, but, you know, even high school, college, I only had a couple of, of, relationships. I had a lot of trouble with and still do with emotional attachments. And that goes for friends as well as lovers, girlfriends, wives, (laughs) wife. So that's something that's just been an issue all along. And I tend to have a couple of really, really close guy friends, but and I have tons of like Facebook friends, but not anything really significant other than a couple of really, really close guys. I find that the the distance friends like the um the Facebook and all that for me is easier sometimes mm. than digging in deep with people. You're striking a lot of chords with me how I felt as a child because I seem really happy and probably Sarah too. You think, oh they're funny, they're happy, but I always have that that feeling, sadness and mm-hmm. you know. I sort of uh, feel the I was very shy, but it was seen as mm-hmm. aloof and even arrogant. But it was low yeah. self-esteem that fueled that. That was 
and you know body image is listed in nancy's book that's yeah. been a I mean, I'm just, I've been overweight most of my life and that's been an issue not wanting to take my shirt off at the beach and things like that. It's like, well, who doesn't have body image problems? Maybe a lot of people do, but a lot of these things, just once you check them all off, like not fitting in, having identity issues, being a chameleon, trying to fit in everywhere, all things to yeah. all people, even the connection with pets. And, you know, I have this doll I've kept all my life, a little dog that I was given when I was pretty much after I was adopted. So I, I still have it. It's all beat up like the Velveteen Rabbit, but just those <laughs> things are like listed in the book. And I'm like, oh yeah, I still have Wooey. Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's Woody behind you. If you see yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I studied philosophy at first in school and then journalism, but I was, I've always been sort of interested in the fact that I could have had a totally different life. Been yeah. a different person if I had been kept, or if another person had adopted me, or if right. they had had that's sort that weird had, thing. I was born before Roe v. Wade, but there were still options, as they put it, so I could have not existed at all. So um, it's a trip to think about those things, isn't it? Just yeah, mm -hmm. and it's just that's I get I'm more cerebral typically than emotional, but that has been sort of a that adds to the depression in a way because it's sort of this idea of nothingness or sliding doors where you could have mm -hmm. taken a totally different path in life. So those were feelings I had all felt. And well, we had a, our first son Chandler in 2000. So I read The Primal Wound pretty soon after that, because that's when I started getting interested and it was early internet. So there were some groups for adoptees. So you could do a little bit of research and have a little bit of also emotional support. So I joined some of those and then contacted my parents. My dad had a small sheet of paper. He had scribbled notes from the agency in a felt tip pen. So I learned that oh. my mom was 21, had gone to Italy, and my birth mom was 21. My birth dad was also 21, but Italian. And it just had some very basic information about her and her life. And it's just that they couldn't work out plans for marriage and she wanted to finish her education and it's a common story back then. And then I also wrote Spence Chapin and got more like a two page letter, went into a lot more detail about the maternal grandparents and their lives, their height, age, not identifying anything, but basically the not their, identifying information. Yeah. So it added a little more color and detail. So I feel like I'm coloring it. <laughs> One of those adult coloring books is like yeah. slowly <laughs> getting color to what was just a sort of vague, blurry image. Yeah. I do a lot of writing and I always said, I feel like my life started with a question mark. Like it's mm -hmm. just no oh, definition. Good. And I've been slowly giving that more definition, more words and images. So the um, records, as you all know, it, closed in New York uh, yes. or were at the time I was searching. So I basically felt like I wasn't going to learn a lot. And then I found there's this loophole in New York where the birth certificate that my parents were given after I was adopted, this birth certificate number matches the original. They didn't change the number. And oh. in the records of birth in, um, the vital office of vital records in the New York public library, you can go in and there are these huge actual analog books. You can find the information, but I mean, you have to go line by line. Oh, that's oh fascinating. Gosh. 
And I started at the letter A. It's all five boroughs. And I've just would see wow. February, you know, my birth date and then mail and then number. Okay, doesn't match. You're literally an investigator. And I'm going between the agency. Line by line <laughs> by line. And I started at the letter A. And at the end of the day, they're like, we're closing in 15 minutes. And I'm at the end of the letter B after eight oh. hours of oh mind gosh. numbing staring at these books. Uh. And I was so frustrated. And then I was just like, man, there's my birthday mail number matches. What? The number matches. Wait, hey, here I am. And it said Burgess. And it said male Burgess, like Anthony Burgess, wow. the writer. So that is all I had. And I thankfully <laughs> at least got it by the end of the day. And it wasn't like last name starting with W. And I would have been ah. there forever. So we had another child, Dylan, and we made that his middle name, just as I thought uh. that's all I was ever going to find out because I didn't think the records would ever open. And this is way before DNA testing yeah, existed. Yeah, all that, yeah. So you all both know Dylan passed away in 2013 yes. after mm. a long battle with brain cancer, but it was having children and having someone that looks like me that was a new experience that everyone has growing up, but that I didn't. And that's, mm -hmm. that was something that was really sort of the first thing. And also then when Dylan was sick, they were asking, do you have a medical history of cancer or things mm -hmm. like that? And I couldn't answer those questions. When, when uh, Dylan was sick, did you get into like, were you, was there more of an immediacy of trying to figure it out a little bit? Somewhat. Or and it's a shame that, you know, my birth mother never got to meet him, but I've told yeah. his story pretty thoroughly and. So, and there's lot, tons of pictures and videos online. I kept a blog yeah. on going for the, the whole thing. It was sort of still kind of early for the internet. I was actually working at MySpace at the time. And so use social wow. media yeah, to early. actually get the word out. And Tom at MySpace. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he didn't ruin the, you know, democracy Tom. or anything. So he's <laughs> a good guy. Um so <laughs> then nothing, nothing, I didn't, didn't think anything was gonna, I mean, I got some of that information from the agency, but I didn't really get anything more. And this is the only identifying information I had and no first name for her. So nothing until 2019, Governor Cuomo wow, opened the records in New York and I was able to send in my check and, and get a, the actual original. And so that had her first name which was Charlotte. And that's like, wow, now I don't know if she's alive or not, but at least I have her full her name. name. Did you, had you not gone on ancestry prior? I had, that? yeah, I had. And I, I had actually just only done ancestry and there was nothing closer than like third cousin at the time that I did it. So, mm -hmm. and I think I did it in 2016 that I actually did the swab. So I tried to find a Charlotte Burgess and I couldn't online. And I worked at, I also was at a search engine for a long time before Google, but it was <laughs> one of the top search engines. So I know how to search. I know how to use the internet. So I've got this like journalism searching, you know, research. We may be calling you with some. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't find her. I couldn't find anything. And then I sort of like, was like, just don't know why maybe I do need to hire someone or, try to go deeper into public records and I, there was nothing. And I didn't even know if she was from New York or not. She, that's just where I was born, yeah. but did give her address. So, uh, but the address was the booth house. So mm. it wasn't, 
you know, felt like a dead end. It didn't give me much more than I already had gotten on my own. Um, but you know, it was good. They opened the records. I think that was a, a huge move in the right direction. Oh, yeah. And it's really, they have to now because of the DNA stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say what came first, the chicken or the egg with that, right? <sighs> I, I feel like the States have a lot of pressure now because you can get your stuff on ancestry and you can't get it on or 23 and me and you can't get it from your birth records. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And so you guys know you get these emails if you've taken these tests all the time. And it's like, we found a match and it's like, here's another <laughs> mm-hmm. third cousin. And it's someone that don't like have no clue how I would even reach out to. And mid August, 2020, you know, deep in the middle of this pandemic and everyone's sitting at home trying to figure out, their lives. Yeah. Ancestry DNA says, Oh, we've got found a match. And I click on the email and I'm like, Oh, here's another one. And it says mother child. Oh. And I was like, wow. That must have just blown you away. I just it was like the whole earth changed course. Like my whole world just opened up in this weird way. And so it said Charlotte, but a different last name. So I was like, that's her. So, I mean, the, the science can't be wrong. Yeah. And so I reached out first through the Ancestry messaging platform, which, you know, if you turn off notifications, you don't get it or it goes to spam. Or So I didn't hear back. I gave it a week. And then I found her email through Spokio, which yeah. is where, you know, <laughs> basically, you know, what you know detectives probably would have gone to next yeah. and wrote her an email and just said, hey, I, I got this match on ancestry. I was born in this, you know, hospital in 1966 and I believe you're my birth mom. And she wrote back. She's like, you got me. <laughs> yeah, that's wow. it. Yeah. That's me. And I read this in a lot of, I've done a ton of reading on adoption, but I've read this in a book recently where the feeling actually at the reunion is like, you've been born again, not religious, but just like you sort yeah. of it's, it is that sort of like a conversion ish experience into a new way of seeing the world or a new paradigm. I felt that way just with that email, like without even connecting with her physically. I told my parents that in a Zoom right after that and was just, I, I was weeping and crying and oh. telling them. And I can't, when I cry, my voice gets really tight and my small and whiny. <laughs> it's very embarrassing. So I try not to do it much. <laughs> Were your adopted parents really supportive of this? Like, they wanted to hear the whole Absolutely, thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, I mean, for like for my adoptive dad, and I'm only saying that to differentiate him right now, but for my dad, he's always just wanted to be called my dad. The adoptive thing should just not even yeah. apply. And my mom was just, I think she's, was the most ecstatic of anyone <laughs> in my whole family that this Aww. was happening and that I found her. So that's been great that they were not only supportive, but just, you know, really happy that I had at least reconnected. Mm-hmm. Did your biological oh. mom, when she went on ancestry, was she kind of hoping you'd find yeah, that's her? What I was, that's because, what I was wondering. So too. later I found out that, so when I went on ancestry and looked, it also has her family tree, like going back. So someone has to go in and add, I think they're called leaves. Yes. So you have to go add those leaves like manually. Yes. And so a cousin had gone in and done that. So she's sort of like there, the Burgess genealogist and traced it all the way back to the Bolins and, you know, England. Yeah. So it was like this crazy Royal line back to King Edward and 
things like that. So that was, wa- that you was, have to watch out for the bolins. I know. A lot I know. Of yeah. <laughs> so I've got, I've got, a, they got a, some a, racy stuff there. <laughs> catch up on watching the crown and see what's up with my family. Yeah. So we just exchanged. So the cousin thought this might bring Eric, not knowing if that was my name, but one thing I found out is my birth mother wanted to name me Eric as well as my adoptive parents. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, so she would just exchange emails at first and then a phone call and planned a reunion, which we had just last month or in August, you know, hopefully after the pandemic, you know, we were talking in 2020 then about trying to push this to when things would be safer. It actually wasn't, but that's just the way it had to work out. Mm-hmm. So she told me more of the backstory. So she met this boy in Siena, Italy. They were both 21. She thought it was like Alberto or Alfredo something. She <laughs> didn't remember his last name and wasn't even sure if she ever knew his last name. So it's that, that kind of like <laughs> eat, pray, love, and yeah. then go home. <laughs> so she doesn't remember a whole ton from that trip, but I don't know if it's more like repressed because it was, a, you know, not the best experience. Or it was so long ago, I mean, 50 plus years. But she does remember being really sick on the boat back, which, you know, being pregnant and on a boat, <laughs> can't imagine. Even just the uh, fact and then on she, the boat back. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Oh, just, yeah, because that's how you had mostly had to travel back then. Yeah. And then, you know, she went to the booth house, felt a lot of sadness, shame, and I would imagine boredom. There's a book written in the first person, a memoir, I'm forgetting what it's called, but it was written in 1966 about a woman in one of these homes. And so it really gives a good example. And I had her read it and she said, yeah, it's a very much what it was like in this, all these pregnant girls going down to the shop for malteds, you know, all together <laughs> this group. And, you know, it must've looked pretty crazy. She did get to hold me for a few days. So that primal wound is probably not as deep, I guess. As yeah. Because, I mean, at least she did, and I don't really know what some hospitals, you know, they whisk the baby away immediately and don't want yeah. any connection. Yeah. So I, and I was really, I just was kind of glad to know that. And it probably made it harder for her to let go. I was going to say, I think it makes it, it makes it harder that my biological mom had that. I didn't know that, but for several days. And then I learned <laughs> how that devastated her later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's so I did also just want to get that basic family medical information, at least from her half and depression on top of the depression of being adopted. Depression runs in the family. Mm. I look most like a brother of hers that actually committed suicide, sadly, Mm. but depression, heart disease, diabetes, all seem to run in the family are things to watch out for, which is good. All the good stuff. Yeah. You got the, you got the loaded package. (laughs) Yeah. Why can't it be like, you know, we all live to 110. Yeah. No. So, and again, that's only half the story. So the other half is Italian. I definitely have an Italian look. I have a a Roman nose as they say, and I definitely have only half uh, Burgess. I have a half brother and sister. Her husband is deceased, you know, the man she ended up marrying died is that a few when years she ago. Went, is that when she went on Ancestry after I believe he died? It, 
Yeah, I, though he did know about me, I found okay. out later. But I, I think that also just out of, I mean, just maybe out of. Now that she also had a grandson who had a school project, so she took it so that he would be connected with her for school. So I think there was this back of the mind. I might find Eric, but this is also practical for school, and that is what turned me up. And she also had some Jewish ancestry in her background that was kept a secret. So it was like whispered that some, like the grandmother was Jewish, the one from Poland, but never told anyone about it. So that actually does come up in the ancestry.com. When you go to the, the genealogy, to the heritage part, there's a big chunk that for me was the Ashkenazi Jews. Yeah. As well as the Italian, you know, was correct. And, and that was in there about, you know, certain percentage North South Italian and you some should other be pretty fiery. You should be pretty fiery with the with Jewish and Italian mixed. Together. I know it's, it's pretty crazy. <laughs> so yeah. then you I'm, got a, the, I'm a good cook. <laughs> <laughs> you got the email from her saying you got me. And mm-hmm. so then there you um, go. What, what, and what? she was, well, she was filling in more of these details, just like the brother and sister, She's still lived on Long Island. The brother lives on Long Island. The sister's in Seattle. So they she always stayed there. And, she was always yeah, in the area. And, and she stayed very close to where she grew up her whole life. So she said, well, I got, guess I got to tell my family about you. <laughs> and so she told the kids and the way she put it. And one thing we all share, it seems, is a really pretty good sense of humor. But she wrote back and she said, well, I told them and they're fine with it. <laughs> the, way, the way she put it, I was like, is that good or bad? <laughs> Not really sure. And then she was telling her brothers and they were like, oh, yeah, we already knew about that. <laughs> so oh. she's like, so much for family secrets. <laughs> so this whole time that they knew about it, no one ever talked to her. About yeah, it. she was thinking that somehow they bamboozled her brothers into thinking she was somewhere else for nine months and they just gave her her space and didn't ever bring it up so which is why the <laughs> which is why the cousin was more thinking i was going to pop up than i think even my birth mom yeah so yeah we planned to reunite and we finally reunited in august so I, f- you know, flew out there with we, my wife. We sort of Jana, know about it because we watched it. Yeah, Facebook. some of it was live yeah. on Facebook. It's yeah, so I sort cool of. To see. So I took Jana, my wife, and Chandler, my son, and and we all flew out there and we met. The first night was, it was just her and, and my siblings, half siblings, and so it was just a small, more intimate. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've read about some reunions and just wanted to let, just let it go and let it play out, however it plays out. But it was just that first hug with her, like finally touching each other mm. again, a good, nice, long hug. And I said, hey, mama. And then she Aww. said to call her, she said to call her mama, Charlie. So I said, mama, Charlie. And Aww. I said, it's good to, good to be with you again. So it was, we, you know, she, she brought us in and then I met my brother is like just huge, tall guy, which I did not get that gene, unfortunately. <laughs> and my half sister who's looks kind of like, a, I mean, she's like a model. She's really pretty. So she, this is like, well, I mean, and if you look at, I saw one picture of my birth mother when she was 21 or just after, I think, having me. And she had a real sort of Liz Taylor kind of vibe. So, oh, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, good looking people, and, uh, you know, coming from this woman. So that was, uh, 
the first very first impression. Everyone is super chill too. Uh, we met the larger family, but you know, just got to know each other that first night. And it's funny because I would be talking to my siblings, and then Jana and Charlotte would be off in the corner, and Charlotte was just bawling, Aww. saying how much I how much I looked like Tommy, and you know. Oh, uh, oh I bet yeah, that it was, was fun to, so because she lost her brother and you look like her. Yeah, I. it's funny because I grew up in Connecticut, so it wasn't too far away from her. But then I moved all over the country, currently ended up in Los Angeles. So we had to you know, cross the country and go see her in Long Island. Extended family came from upstate New York and uh, Brooklyn. So I got to meet uncles and cousins and their spouses and fiancés. So I mean, it was like 15 people in the room, I think. Wow. And in what's this Chandler huge what's Chandler circle, this? he was, I think, I mean, we all, the first thing that one of my cousins said is like, well, this is weird. <laughs> we were all like, this is weird, but it's just crazy and amazing and was really fun. And everyone was, too. I always yeah. think that like as adoptees, like <clears throat> Sarah has her son and I have my son and you have your son and you kind of forget like this is their legacy too. Like we don't forget, but you kind of forget it's their story. Mm -hmm. It's a strange. He was, yeah, he was. Uh, I bet um, he was like uh, taking it all in. And just, yeah. And he wow. went, had so much to tell his friends when he went back to school, he's in college, he's a senior. So yeah, I just won't ever forget that first hug. And then just sitting with that, that was like the, the biggest memory and just feeling an emotion. It's like too many emotions to even describe. And then just sitting with that extended family in this huge circle in Charlotte's living room. And I just remember sitting there like almost a camera and just looking all around like the panoramic <laughs> and just seeing like, this is like, again, it was like kind of like in that film about the primal wound, but this is like a whole world that I missed out on, but yeah. also that I'm so glad that I'm at least connecting with now. Mm -hmm. And we're in a little private Facebook group and, and it's, you know, all are staying in touch with texts and emails and such. But we had feasts every day, extremely well-fed, different sort of Long Island specialties each time. We started with Italian food, which was ironic, and then um, had some, you know, bagels and all different stuff. So it was really fun. So you've stayed in touch and you're close mm -hmm. and it's only been yeah. a couple months, but no conflict. It was just like a, it's, it's a great reunion story, right? No, I, I was talking about, I, I think everyone was just really kind of chill. Everyone sort of, you know, was just, I think everyone was really excited that this is happening. And I think that it's a, almost a different world than it even was a few years ago where it might've been not just weird and funny to acknowledge how weird it is, but really uncomfortable. And it just was never uncomfortable. Everyone was just kind of relaxed and cracking jokes. Again, this, the sense of humor I mentioned, really funny, kind of nerdy. All of us are a little bit nerdy in our own way. And I got to look at photo albums on one of my last days there, which was really, really interesting because I feel like I looked more like some of her brothers than even some of the other, like my cousins. There's definitely family resemblance. Y'all saw the picture. So that I yeah. think there's definitely you know, some, a lot of Burgess in me. I want to know Italians the there Italian. too. Did yes. you find the Italian? <laughs> yeah. So I took a Alberto. bunch of other, yeah, a bunch of other DNA tests, partly for the medical questions that I'm not getting from the Italian side. So I took 23andMe for that because mm -hmm. they give medical guidance or 
proclivities. And then I also took family tree DNA, CGI genetics is one, I think it's called. And then the one that I got lucky with was called My Heritage. Yeah, which now, we've my, never heard of, actually. I'd never heard of My Heritage. Yeah, Ancestry. So some of these companies have these you know, huge footprints in America and maybe England, but not Europe or right, other parts yeah. of the world. My Heritage seems to have more of a footprint in Europe. So it found a, I think it's either like cousin or second cousin, something like that. They're not ever sure exactly. But basically I matched with a cousin. So it was something like Nicholas Brutini in Siena. And that's where she went, Siena, Italy. So I'm like, oh my God, this is like my cousin. So he's got to at least know who my birth father is, but my birth father doesn't know I exist. So I can't just reach out and say, hey, you know, I'm this guy that <clears throat> your dad or your uncle. So I just didn't even reach out to him at all. But and I had the, the last name. In Italy, or, you know, in the yeah. 60s in Italy, there could have been a whole like slew of. Fun oh, right. On. Yeah. <laughs> oh, can you imagine 1965? It would have been the summer or uh, yeah. spring. In, Talented in, in, Mr. Ripley era. Oh, God. I can't yeah. imagine. I, I'm like, I can't imagine. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I can't blame them for, you know, it wasn't quite the summer of love, but it was their summer of love. Yeah. <laughs> so I went on Facebook and I tried an Alberto or Alfredo Brutini and found one in Siena. He's about the right age, but uh, no response because Facebook messages, if you're not friends, it know, goes, right. into, goes into other that, and you may that, never yeah. see it. Yeah. And half of that is, most of that is junk. Yeah. So I'm not surprised. Then I found, I'd searched the internet, back to the internet. <laughs> I searched his name and I found that he had, if it's the same guy, he had written a book. And not only that, but it was a book about slang that our grandparents used to use in Siena. Not just Italy, but just the city. Siena is very enclosed in a way. It's sort of shut yeah. off from even the rest of Italy, but also to outsiders. Yeah. So, you know, this guy on Facebook looks a bit like me. I had found a picture of him younger that looks a lot more like me, but it's hard to tell. I probably look a little more like my maternal grandfather, who was follically challenged as I am on the top, <laughs> but close. I mean, I look a bit like him as far as the males I've been seeing that I might be related to. So I've got that book and I wrote the publisher to see, you know, this guy wrote these, this book about language, which is a, a man after my own heart to begin with. I was going to say, that's a really interesting connection it's, there. Yeah. Just it's like, you know, you are. if you remember like little phrases that your grandparents used to use, like, I mean, just stuff like you're, why are you in a funk or, you know, it's weird, just little sayings and stuff. So to preserve those, so they aren't lost. That was a really intriguing project to me to see that he had done that yeah. and i actually got the book just to say hey i ordered this book and i want to talk to the author so i could write the publisher and they said we don't have an email for him i'm like okay wow. so i don't know what else to do to reach out to him other than to try to get maybe someone over there to help or to go over there once again this pandemic is under better control so um, but the, again, you, you get not, the medical. Are you not open to reaching out to the cousin on That's my what heritage? I was going to say the cousin, Nicholas. Yeah, I might do so. Just it's it might be weird to just say your uncle had you know this. Well, you don't even have chord. to say that, right? <laughs> you I could, could just say yeah. I think you know we're related. What I did do know. in my heritage, so the cousin had actually created his own little family tree, 
but it's all hidden from me because I'm not part of it. So just as question mark Brutini. So I clicked add me to the tree and it says, you know, reason why. And I said, we are cousins. And so are you if first got, cousins? It's either first or second. I think they're okay. not sure which. Pretty close. Yeah. yeah. So we share a lot of those, the chunks of DNA that, that help them match. Mm-hmm. And that's the closest match I've had. And I haven't had anyone in Italy at all match. So it was crazy that it was so direct. So I, I did click add me to your family tree because I'm your cousin. And I haven't and ha- gotten any response yeah, to that. So <laughs> he, he would have gotten an email or again, if you turn off your notifications. So I think trying to reach out, I could try to find him. He was not on Facebook, the cousin, but who I think my birth biological father is. Did you send um, him a friend request? It's turned off. Yeah. So it's oh. like, ah, God, you, you know, you know, I've been hitting these brick walls all the time yeah. you know, and having to <laughs> climb over them. So I I'll, feel like I'll we're going to get through to him. <laughs> yeah. You might need to stay tuned for, you know, a future update, but yes. the other thing is some of the medical stuff. If he has other memories of Charlotte in that summer. And also I can claim Italian citizenship, which therefore means EU citizenship for me, Jana, my wife and Chandler, yeah, that, my son, that'd be really great. which is pretty insane. It's uh, yeah. the Lex it's just called the law of blood and then the law of marriage. And then that's all you need is just to be related by blood, but a DNA test doesn't count. He needs to sign papers saying, yes, this oh. is my son, but more, you know, probably most importantly is Chandler's graduating next year. He's in school in Boston. So it'll be a chance for Charlotte to meet my parents and forever. That was going to be, that was actually what I was going to ask if if they had, have they they zoomed or anything? They all want to meet. I think zoom is just so weird. It is. (laughs) Yeah. I I never wanted to zoom with her. I, we talked on the phone and did a lot of email and Facebooking and such, but it seems so personal and impersonal at the same time. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, it's a strange thing. We started like during the pandemic to try to do a weekly family Zoom and it just was kind of crazy to keep it up. And it's really just become a necessity now rather than something I, I'd go to. Well, that's exciting that they're all going to meet. So I know we do like updates. Obviously, yeah. you better be back on Facebook by then. So we yeah, can see. no, I'm going to get back <laughs> on. We're all off of Facebook after the most recent <laughs> so, stuff. So Sarah and I are going to start. So yeah, I take a break on Facebook and then everything so we, falls apart. Yeah, we we want the uh, for our website. We're going to and for sure we want those college pictures yeah yeah <laughs> and then we want some pictures like because we want to ask all our guests for so it'd be really neat to put them up there oh yeah absolutely yeah so definitely you have to keep us up to date we know you will because we're yes. gonna stay up with you but but we miss you on facebook come back well i'll definitely come back to want to promote this show <laughs> okay good this this episode <laughs> yes we'll let you know about that that but so thank you so much eric i just love following the journey but hearing it me too is even better so we really appreciate this it and i'm really so good. happy it's a happy reunion story yeah me too. absolutely me too yeah happy yeah. ending yes but yeah. to be continued yes to and be continued <laughs> and thank you for sharing all of this with us thank you so much you're welcome thanks keep it up thanks yes okay, we'll talk we'll, soon we'll see you soon okay okay bye bye, bye. oh that was great it's just been Amazing to see his journey live. Yeah, his last friends with few him. Months. Yeah, yeah. So Facebook, and then he's such a friend of the show, and to now know his whole story. And we knew him, of course, in elementary school, and it was much harder things going on for him. So this is really neat. 
Yeah. It, it was great finally getting him as a guest and hearing his story from origin to reunion really has been great. I'm looking forward to hearing about his son's graduation if everybody goes to it. And I know. He has the nice reunion story, which is nice to hear sometimes, isn't it? Just a It good, really is. Yeah. A good wrap up of it. And also that he went through hard things as a young person, like all of us. And, mm-hmm. and well, it's that common thing, it seems, that we all share. The common bond. Yes. Well, Sarah. Well, Louise. <laughs> Another great episode. Another great episode. See you next time. See you then. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, find us at patreon.com searching adoption colon the making of me. Bye. See you next time.